Good morning, everyone. How about our production team back here? They just like transitioned the whole stage in a matter of seconds, 30 seconds or less. And uh, so enjoyed our worship this morning as well. We want to welcome all of you that are watching online and our Lawrenceburg, Tennessee campus. Welcome them this morning as well. We are glad you are here. And uh, this morning, we're just going to talk about me. So it'll be a long sermon. Now, we are in a new series called The Me Mentality. Last week, our pastor, Pastor Steve Husky, kicked it off with uh, a focus on being self-reliant. And this week, we are going to continue that series. And today, the topic I was assigned was self-centered. Now, it's very interesting that I would be given a topic self-centered because it's pretty much the opposite of me. We're going to have a hard time this morning, aren't we? It's like, no, I always thought you were self-centered, Pastor Chili. I got you. Well, there's so many times where we, you know, we don't want to admit we're self-centered because, I mean, we, we want to be givers. We want to invest in others. But if you think about the culture that we live in today, there is so much focus on me all the time. We, we, we post on social media and we put our pictures up there and we put our opinions up there and we have something to say just about everything and we don't just do it just to get it off our chest. We want someone to like it. We want someone to follow it. We want a heart. We want a thumbs up. We want more people to share it with other people because we have the most important things to say in the whole world, right? Us. You know, our kids are the best-looking kids, and they go to the best school, and we root for the best team. See, everyone's happy, aren't you, right now? Because when we talk about being self-centered, it always connects with your attitude. It's always connected to attitude. Now, if Alabama had lost last night, there would be many of us with a negative attitude this morning. Auburn fans would be happy. Alabama fans, not as good attitude. And vice versa. This morning, I mentioned this in the first service, and, and someone said, well, I wouldn't be, I'd have no problem if Auburn had lost. You're so giving. You're so willing to just go along. But isn't it amazing, you know? So Auburn won and Alabama won, and we had a miracle just a little farther north. Tennessee won. I'm all for it. I, I'm happy they're all winning because it makes you happier, and I'd rather preach to happy people. And, of course, we all love Ohio State. Hey, this is our senior pastor's team. That happens to be mine as well. And, uh, but we, look how it is. It was like, oh, hold on a second. I said Ohio State. Somebody said Roll Tide. It didn't even connect. That's one of the things I had to learn when I moved down here. People use Roll Tide just as a normal phrase. You know, would you like your oil change? Yes, please. Roll Tide. <laughs> you know, would you like fries with that meal? Yes, that'd be great. Roll Tide. And we're like, well, what is that? Is that a, an extra thing that we're getting? But I, I'm learning. I'm learning. And I'm happy that there was so much winning happening this weekend. Let's keep the winning streak alive this morning as we talk about this because I'm going to share a scripture verse with you right now that you'll be able to say, I already got this and we can just go home 
in like two minutes, right? Okay, read this with me, Philippians 2.5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. There? We all there? All right, let's go. We'll go home. You're like, nailed this one. You don't have to preach to me today, Pastor Chili. This is one verse I have tattooed. It's funny. We talk about tattoos, but we don't rarely put one like this on. And I don't know where we would put it. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Same as Jesus. I don't know about you, but as I began to read this passage, I realized I came up a little short. Uh, I'm not there. So immediately this message began to work in me. So I began to think, I can't use myself as an example. So let me start thinking of others I could use as an example. So I started trying to think about some of you. But I didn't come up with anybody. (laughs) You know, we like to say to people, you need to stop focusing on yourself. That's how you get over self-centeredness. Stop focusing on yourself. It's not all about you. You need to just think about other people. But I want to tell you something. When you are trying to overcome self-centeredness, it's not enough to stop focusing on yourself. You have to refocus on Jesus Christ. There's no other thing that you can do. You can try to do behavior modification, but church is not behavior modification. We didn't get you in here just to help you kind of get a little thought process to keep you going for the rest of the week. We want to see you transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, that he would work in your life from the inside out because it doesn't work just kind of going, I just need to... to, Get a more positive outlook on life. You ever tell somebody that? You should be more positive as you're like whining at them, as you're pointing at them. You know, you're not a very positive person. Well, you ought to be able to say, you should be more positive like me. But we don't say that. We just say, you should be more positive. Because it's hard to say like me. But you're not saying enough unless you say, like Jesus. And then if you say, and you can follow me to become more like Jesus. Because you're either a disciple and a disciple maker or you're somewhere else. We've got to be leading people. We've got to be following people that are a little ahead of the game than us. And we've got to be aware that our life matters that our life makes a difference, that we are accountable for our life on Monday and Friday night and Saturday during the game, that our life is accountable in all of these ways. And self-centeredness doesn't maybe show up as hard on Sunday morning, although it can. Have you ever been upset about your parking spot on a Sunday morning? You ever been upset about the coffee line on a Sunday morning? Now you're preaching Hey, look, we got a QR code. You can literally order your coffee. I get up in the morning, Sunday morning. I just first thing, get my phone, put my coffee order in it. It's waiting for me when I get here. Technology changes my attitude just like that. I come in. In fact, it makes my attitude almost a little better because you kind of look at the line and you're like, 
I'm going to enjoy this and the first song of worship. <laughs> it's all what we have a, a thirst for, I guess. You see, our attitude, like, you're ready to just throw me off. And I was like, I don't like your attitude, Pastor Chili. It's only going to get worse, so hang in there. But we, it's so easy for us to say, change, stop. But if you say stop, you got to say start. If you say change, you need to say change into something. And that's what Paul is bringing us to here in Philippians. We're just going to stay right here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. I've read verse 5, and I'm going to back it up into verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 to help us have context for why he said this and why we got to this point. But before we do, I want to just share an example of this that as I was praying this week, I said, God, just give me an illustration of what you're talking about when it comes to having the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Well, it came as a surprise for me, but on Wednesday morning, we got a phone call at our home a little before 8 a.m. from um, one of the faculty at Florence High School. We're Falcons at my house. I know that some of you are like, that's how weird we get. Killing. Brooks, I, I... we're all, we're our kids, these are kids. They go to different schools. We love them all. Right? Okay, I'm just making sure because if you're hating on one of these teams, we're going to have to scrap. <laughs> and I know some big people on my side on the Falcon time, on the side of things. I'm just saying. You see, so I got a phone call. My wife got a phone call on Wednesday morning. And one of the staff at the Florence Football High School was calling because our son Chase is a sophomore there and they were doing weight training before school and he was injured. So Netta came in and said, Chili, hey, we need to go. Um, Chase has been hurt at school. And I thought, are we going to go pick him up, whatever? And she didn't know yet. And all of a sudden she turned around and I, her eyes filled with tears and said, they're life lighting him. They're they're vacuuming him from the school. And what had happened is during one of the weight training uh, things that he was doing, he severed in half one of his fingers and one of his fingers stayed on the squat rack while the rest of his hand was bleeding and students saw it and different people and and the next thing we knew where our life was kind of in a whirlwind and we're trying to figure out where we're going to go and they're saying on the phone we're going to we're going to fly him to Birmingham because if we get there quick enough maybe we can reattach so the the part of the finger was in a bag of ice and he was he was there and Chase, without trying, my son Chase Truth, without trying, without being reminded, without having a pep talk, without a sermon, he just clicked into the attitude of Christ Jesus. And every coach, every trainer, every nurse, every medic, the helicopter pilot kept saying the same thing. We were trying to encourage him, but he would keep encouraging us. We were trying to comfort him, but he kept comforting us. We were trying to make make the moment light. He was already making the moment lighter. He clicked into a mode that as parents, I go, oh man, I'm so proud of him. But I'm also so humbled by him. Because in moments of crisis, it really reveals what's in us. It reveals, we don't have time to rehearse it, right? What comes out of our mouth, what comes out of our hearts, 
we don't have time to think, whoa, what, what would look good for my parents or what would look good for the school? But the principals and vice principals, they all began to call us as we were driving to Birmingham, trying to get there as soon as we could when the helicopter would arrive. And they kept calling us and head football coach called and said, even my own kids wouldn't have been like him. So like, I've never seen a kid like him. I've never seen someone so calm and so positive and, and, and dealing with what he was going to deal with that he probably would never be the same again. He was still that way. And we got to Birmingham and went inside and my wife went in and still COVID, so only one of us could go in. And the whole medical staff, Chase had already been there for about 45 minutes, was going, this is a unique kid. I've never seen a kid like this. He just came in and he started encouraging us. He started laughing. He started making a lot of it. He'd already named himself Pinky. <laughs> you know, it's like, again and again, I was so humbled by that. And then I watched on Friday night at the football game. Chase had made more friends through the injury than he had made the whole year as a football team. And watched him go up and down with his left hand, patting guys on the shoulder pads. Watching him go through the line at the end of the game, which they won quite easily. I <laughs> just thought I'd throw it out there. And he's, he's, you know, he's reaching across and shaking everyone's hand on the other team with his left hand. And he's got a long road ahead and there's some plastic surgery and some other checkups and different things that's going on. And every day I have to change all this bandage and he can't even look at it himself still and yet he could be used of God in such a mighty way and I think about that a year ago my other son Maximus did the same thing he was attacked by a shark in Orange Beach and had his foot mangled and went into ER and what we heard from the beach to the ambulance to the emergency room to the care afterwards is he was so calm. He, he was so kind to us. He kept trying to make sure we were okay. All these people wanted to come in and see it. They'd never seen a shark bite. So all the hospital staff was all coming in to see it. And he was encouraging them and being funny and finding light in it. And I was so proud of, of those moments. Nothing will make you as a parent more proud than watching your kids rise in adversity. You know, Chase, wasn't a, he's not a starter on the team. He wouldn't have played Friday night. But he had more of an impact on Friday night than he ever has before through having the attitude of Christ Jesus. It gave him entrance. As we went early and met with the team, and I had to change his bandage before the game, and again, met with different ones of the staff there. Again and again and again, they just kept saying, I don't know what you've done. I don't know how you've raised him. And I just had to give glory to God because... His faith is his faith. Max's faith is his. And I'm so thankful when you see those moments and, and the kids rise up. And I'd like to say just a little side note, selfishly, but being a PK is not easy. I know we all raise kids. We all have teenagers. Being a teenager, being a parent is not easy. But I was a PK. I grew up as, in a pastor's home. And sometimes we look at them that they're privileged, they get the inside information, they get kind of noticed, but they never miss a service, they never miss a meeting, they never miss a moment. They see way more than they need to see, they hear way more than they need to hear. And oftentimes, what they go through are things that we would never want. They live in a spotlight, always. 
their behavior is always scrutinized. And if the enemy can get to them, he can really mess up a church. He can really mess up a parent. And I just wanted to say that as a sidebar, to pray for your pastors and their children. Pray for all of the children of this generation, this culture. I'm serious. I'm not trying to single them out and make them like favorites. They're not. But they're different. And again, as I watched him go through different things, I was reminded by that. See, to live unselfish lives, we must display the attitude of Jesus. Because Jesus is the antithesis of selfishness. God is the opposite of selfishness. God so loved that he gave. If we really love, we give, not take. I love you, and I don't care if you pat me on the back or post me on, on Instagram or, or, or notice or compliment or give. I want to give. I want to outgive God. I can't, but I want to try. That's what unselfishness looks like. And we all need that, but we also all need each other. And that is why we meet on Sunday mornings. That's why we come together, not just to have behavior modification and learn some kind of pattern for us to live, but to have our lives transformed and to be challenged by the attitudes of one another, to be encouraged by one another, to be able to look people in the eyes and them to say, things aren't okay, are they? Let's pray together. Let's leave whole. Not just a feeling, not just a goosebump, but a heart transformation. Because I will live a self-centered life anytime I don't have the attitude of Christ Jesus. Anytime. We all will. We'll go this afternoon and be upset at how long it took to get out of the parking lot. How long it took to have our order at the, at the restaurant. <laughs> how many boats got in our way on the lake? It's amazing the things that we focus on when we don't focus on Jesus. He should be our focus. You see, I need you. I need you. I need you in my life. I need the body of Christ. We weren't made to do this life alone. Come on, look at the person next to you and go, I need you. Seriously, look them in the eyes, especially if it's someone that you love and know and live with. If it's a complete stranger, I get it. This could be your moment. <laughs> now, look at them one more time and just tell them something you admire about them. Go ahead. We got time. At least I do. Look at you guys. You see the smiles? What happens when we walk into work on Tuesday and go, I need you. Here's something I admire about you. You see the smiles? It didn't take long. It changed the atmosphere because what you're doing is the attitude of Jesus. You know, he gets up because he doesn't sleep. We get up and we look cruddy in the morning, right? We got those lines on the face. We got a new hairstyle. We got the croutons in the corners of their eyes. <laughs> They're like rubber bands connecting our teeth that aren't rubber bands. We look funky. And Jesus, who never sleeps, who never slumbers, goes, you're awesome. You're the apple of my eye. 
You know, you're in the shower. You're like, oh, I got to go. got another day. And God's going, you look good. You're like, can you just not come in the shower, God? Can you not? Some of you are the opposite. You talk to God in the shower all the time, right? You just don't realize he's taking a look. And he loves you. Right? He loves you. He's not going, how's keto going? Because <laughs> we got to ask other people about that. We got to have somebody say, are you skinny? Are you getting thinner? Are you lost weight? For all of the rest of us. <laughs> I mean, like sometimes people go, chill, you're losing weight. And it's like, maybe. I haven't had lunch. I don't know. Some people, and they're really dedicated to the scale. I just don't even pay attention to it. Just, it's like we go rise and fall. We'll just see what happens. You see, I need you in my life. You need each other. We have to find the things that Jesus wants us to have in common. Because when we find the things that Jesus wants us to have in common... It changes us. And listen, one of the biggest hindrances to unity could be me. You could say that to yourself too. My attitude could be a roadblock to peace and joy for others. Man, that's sobering, right? That's hard to say, but it's true. Because we've all been on the other side of it. But how often do we take ownership for our part? How often do we say, I'm being self-centered right now. I'm being insecure right now. I'm being fearful right now. I'm just going to play my anxiety card and I'm not going to let God heal me of it. We struggle. We go through it. We have depression. We have anxiety. We have fear. We have insecurity. But we have a Savior. And greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We have a someone who can be the glory and the lifter of our heads. The lifter of our heads. We don't have to live a defeated life. We don't have to live a self-centered life. But we do have to make some choices. Because the things that we must have in common are the very things that make us uncommon in this world. The things that we have in common are what make us uncommon. It's what made Chase uncommon amongst all those kids at that moment, even amongst adults and coaches and leaders. There's something that he had that immediately went into action without him having to trigger it because it was in him. And it went into action. It's what made him uncommon. And what I heard again and again is he's not normal. He's not like everyone else. And if anything else I could do today, I'd love to ruin you for normal. We could be uncommon. So I want to back it up and look at verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Just four things today that support verse 5. Things about us that if we choose to be uncommon, we will make a difference. And self-centeredness will disappear and Christ-likeness will reappear in and through our lives. Number one, we need uncommon qualities. Paul writes in verse one, and you can just say, yeah, if you agree with this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Okay, there's four of us. Yeah, I'm, I like to belong to Jesus. 
Any comfort from his love? Yeah. Any fellowship together in his spirit? That's what we're doing. We were just shouting a few minutes ago. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? <laughs> Nobody even said, yeah, now. Like, well, that's a work in progress there. Tender and compassionate. You see, those four ingredients of unity, encouragement, comfort, fellowship, and compassion. If we would strive for those things with one another, that's what Paul's saying here. And Paul certainly battled attitude, sarcasm, self-centeredness. He understands this. So he's not saying it for himself. He's, he's saying this on behalf of all of us. And the word translated first here, encouragement, is really literally written exhortation in the word of God. If exhorting you in the name of Christ has any influence on you. That's what he's saying. If exhorting you in the name of Christ, that's what I'm doing today. I'm not just kind of going, I just want to encourage you. No, I'm exhorting you. It, it means more than that. It means wake up. It means listen up. It means step up. That's what it's talking about. That we, when we're coming to church, we go, I need to kick it up. I need to kick up my encouragement. I need to step up my encouragement. Otherwise, we come in and go, I don't know if I like that church. It's a big church and no one really ever encourages people there. Be the encourager that you want someone to be to you. Step it up. Kick it up. It's not hard. You just told somebody next to you something you admire. Come into the room and just go, come on, God. Give me some praise. Give me something to find good in. Let me see something that's awesome. Some of the best things we do as leaders, kids leaders, youth leaders, it's just notice when they get their braces off. Notice and remember their name. Notice when they get a haircut. It's not big stuff. It's just I care and I notice. And I tell you, that's encouragement. That's what we're talking about. Look for people to encourage. It means to put courage into them. They should get down and go, Ooh, I feel like I got courage now. That's because I encouraged you. <laughs> Maybe. If any comfort of love, if the followers of Christ, proving their devotion to love each other, bring relief to the suffering physically, spiritually, emotionally, we're doing the right thing. That should be a thing for us. Go, you're safe with me. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. I want to bring comfort to you. I want to bring peace to you. I want to bring hope to you. I want to bring solutions. If somebody comes to you and they say, I'm struggling. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not feeling well. Don't just say, well, have you been tested? <laughs> Why don't you say, can I pray for you? Start there. Then if they go get tested and they're, and they're not, you know, maybe they got healed right then. All they know is that you did the best that you could do. And you didn't send them to WebMD or some other thing. We just encourage people. We comfort people. And then it says, any fellowship of the Spirit. If there's an intimate relationship that we have as Christians, then we have the power of God, the presence of God, the protection of the Holy Spirit through each other. I love that. The fellowship shouldn't just be, 
because we all are together in a big church, the fellowship goes beyond that. It's better than that. It, it, we, we, we're not just spirit-filled, we're spirit-spilled. You know, we get on each other. We, we, we have so much of what God's doing in us that it overflows. That's what fellowship is. It's an overflow of what God's doing. We, we go through hard weeks and we come into this place and it should be an overflow, a celebration together. It makes us uncommon. And compassion, oh man, we should be so good at that. You get it, you feel it, you embrace it. That's what compassion is. It's got to be more than goosebumps. It's action. It's action. It means sometimes you stop the car and you do something for somebody. It means sometimes you buy someone else's meal or coffee. It means sometimes you serve in another way. Compassion. You want God to use you. That's what it means to have the attitude of Christ. We have these uncommon qualities. And... We have an uncommon cause. Second thing, verse two. Then he says, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. You know, I think sometimes we'll read this and we'll think, man, Paul is so arrogant here. You know, like, but I want you to know, Paul is not talking about Paul. Paul is exercising the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. You need, we're not a church that we're trying to make our pastor happy, our parent happy, our spouse happy, our boss happy. Now, I hope all of those people are happy. But what he is saying here when he says, make me truly happy, is saying something, there has to be something that happens in your heart. To agree wholeheartedly means with all of your heart that you can agree together rather than always finding something to disagree about. I don't think one more person needs your take on masks. Whether you got them on or don't or on the vaccination or in Afghanistan and the president. All of those things are important. And if they're important, they should be mentioned on your knees, not on your social media. Because does God tell you to get up off of your knees and then go vent and rant? Or does he tell you to go serve and love? There's enough other things to deal with. It doesn't mean you don't have an opinion. It doesn't mean you don't, you know, that you become ignorant or, or you don't care. It doesn't mean that we're inactive politically or that we don't vote. We do all of those things, hopefully from prayer to those moments. But there's so many things we divide ourselves with. We've had people arguing in our own lobby about things that really are not eternal. Man, let's be encouragers. And let's remember our cause. You remember when David rolled up on Goliath as a little boy? He was just bringing lunch, right? He was just a servant. He was not there to fight. His brothers were in the army. But he looked down and he saw this big, ugly jerk hating on God and a bunch of people hiding. And he's like, who's going to do something about that problem? And his brother said, shut up. You don't know anything. You just go back to daddy 
we'll take the lunch and you go back. And he said, what have I done wrong to his brother? He said these lines, have we not a cause? That's what led him into Saul's tent. That's what led him into, into Goliath's presence. That's what led him to victory. That he says, this isn't about church. This isn't about trash talking. This is about our cause. Do we not have a cause? Did God not say, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Did he not go say to love one another and to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor just as much? We have a cause. We have a great commission. We have a great commandment. And those two things should keep us so busy that we don't have time on all these side issues. Because we have a cause. And that's what makes us uncommon. Make me truly happy, agreeing wholeheartedly. Look, in 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. See, by the authority of the Lord Jesus, harmony with each other, no divisions, one mind united in thought and purpose. We must seek for things to agree about. Because there's plenty to disagree about. But that's what makes us uncommon. If you want to win the lost, we have to be uncommon. There has to be something different. Why get up, get dressed, come into this room on a Sunday morning? Why come to your table at lunch at school? Why talk to you in the break room if there's not something uncommon about you? There's not something different. Our love for one another will be mutual, not one-sided. And being one-minded in purpose literally means one soul joined together. In the New American Standard, it says, of one mind means intent on one purpose. Not only working together outwardly, but inwardly, having the same purpose and intentions. That's what we should be after. What attitudes disrupt you from having unity? Have you ever thought about that? Just ask God that. Say, God, what are my attitudes that disrupt me from unity? That disrupt me from finding agreeable stuff with people? Is it pride? Is it jealousy? Is it insecurity? I've had to go through all those lists. Like I said, I'm not qualified to preach this message because I get it all right. I'm in it with you. And I had to do a lot with this. Thank God for sons that bring conviction of the Holy Spirit into my house. But I challenge you, be somebody who makes everybody feel like somebody. Be somebody that makes everybody feel like somebody. We can all do that. We can all do it. We can all champion other people. We can. We can smile at people. Tell them how great they are. Somebody else is going to tear them down, so just keep building them up. Somebody else is going to lie, so keep telling the truth. Do what we do, and do it even if it's uncommon. Number three, we must have uncommon conduct. Paul said in verse 3, don't be selfish. Well, we're not. Right? <laughs> Don't try to impress others. 
Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. I'm glad he, he, you know, he didn't just say the first two parts and leave us. But he says, here's how. Be humble. Well, it's my humility that I pride myself in. <laughs> now, you can only be humble by thinking of others as better than yourself. That's what humility is. We should always consider others better than ourselves. That's easy, right? But did you ever think about what you were like pre-salvation? Were you easy for Jesus to love? Do you have any rough edges? Did you have any weird addictions? Did you have any problems with your thought life? Were you kind of a jerk? Were you a potty mouth? Were you a partier? Were, I don't know. You know, like, what were you like when Jesus said, I love you anyways? You know, what were you like? Then we should be able to love anybody. I love discovering non-Christians and having that thought, they're going to be so awesome when they get saved. Right? I don't get put off by that, that boisterous or that crazy or that attitude. I think he just needs to get saved. You know, like they go, oh, that person's so rebellious. I was like, we're all rebellious and we're all going to rebel at something. You see, I'm going to give you permission today. We, somebody may have preached like you should never be rebellious. I think you should, but against principalities and powers of darkness in the spiritual realm. Our fight is not flesh and blood, but it's against that. And we are made to rebel against it. And if we don't rebel against spiritual authority, we'll rebel against human authority. We'll go after our parents, our principals, our bosses. We'll go after any other authority when we get distracted and stop fighting the fight that God made us to rebel against. So seeing a rebel doesn't bother me because I think when they learn who they're really supposed to fight, they're going to be awesome. (laughs) Selfishness and conceit are unity killers. They are. Refuse to choose a self-centered attitude over a Christ-centered attitude. And in place of these, we should substitute humility, putting others first. One of the most important things I ever did was use a post-it note that I wrote, today is not about me. And I put it everywhere. My wife has, has been married to me over 30 years and she's seen it multiple times. She can probably tell when I'm going through those stages again. I wish I'd say I graduated, but I go back. It's on the mirror again. It's on the desk. It's on the rear view mirror. It, I put it everywhere. Today is not about you. That little post-it note just helps me so much sometimes just to go, because it's about others, and it's about Jesus. Last thing, and we're almost done, uncommon concern. Man, this is it for us. Paul says, don't, don't look out only for your own interests. Take interest in others too. It doesn't say that your own interests are wrong. We should take care of our house, our family, our vehicles, our job. It doesn't say that that's wrong. But it does say don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. We should all be interested in the concerns of other Christians and our neighbors, as well as their concerns. So I encourage you, look around, pay attention. There's so much more beyond you. You're driving through your neighborhood sometimes and you're thinking, man, they haven't cut their grass for two weeks. Maybe there's a reason. And maybe you could just quickly take care of that for them. If you want the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity in your life, 
then you have to get rid of the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. I want the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit full operation in me. So I'm wrestling against the me, myself, and I. And the key to accomplishing this is to take an interest in others. Take an interest in other people. God loved us so much, he gave his only son. And in Romans 12, 10, it says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Take delight in honoring each other. And where's that bring us? Right back to where we started. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. It's where we are. So I close with just a little homework. First of all, I want to be sure you're a follower of Christ. Not, I'm into Jesus, but Jesus is into me. Right? Not, I just believe in Jesus, but I walk with Jesus. I've invited him in to forgive me of my sins. I've repented and turned around. And I am a follower of Jesus. I want to follow Jesus so closely that if he stops walking, I run right into the back of him. That's following Jesus. And he will lead me into opportunities I never could have imagined. He'll lead me into conversations I never could have imagined. Man, my son Chase didn't get up and have two hours of prayer and devotions on Wednesday morning, but he did get up and pray and prayed with his mom before he left the house. And then God just activated his heart and used him in a crisis to make a difference in someone. We don't know what we're facing. We go through hardship. We go through difficulties. These have been really hard years for us. But in the middle of it all, there's Jesus. And there's eternity. And I believe Jesus lived a sinless life. I believe he died on the cross for our sins. I believe he rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life. And if you believe that, you can have eternal life and you can become a follower of Jesus. And I want to lead you to do that. If you already know Jesus, I want you just to take some time today or this week and just stay right in Philippians chapter two and study it. Start at verse six where we're picking up or maybe you want to go back to verse five and read it again. Write it on something and put it on the fridge. Put it on your mirror. But read verses six to 18. And my prayer is that you'll hear Jesus come into the scene while you're reading and say, here's what I did. You can do it too. Here's how I did it. Let me show you somebody that you're gonna see this week. Let me show you a conversation that you're going to have. He'll do that. See, we can be one and we can do it with great joy. Today's not about me. So would you just close your eyes as I wrap this up? If you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, or if you're not living for him right now, and you just say, Chili, I just want to invite him in. I want to invite him in. I want a fresh start. I want that attitude of Christ Jesus. Because mine has stunk. I'm not being a witness. And I want Jesus to be fully, fully in my life. Not just filled, but spilled. I want all that Jesus has. And I want to ask him into my heart today. I want you just to put your hand up.
If you need to recommit, you can raise your hand too. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Wow. Pray with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for me. He rose from the dead for my eternity. And I choose to not only make him my savior because I need to be saved, but my Lord, because I need to obey. And I pray that right now as savior and Lord, he would transform my life from the inside out so that I might have the attitude of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And God, I pray for every person in this room, those that have raised their hands or those that haven't, that, Lord, we would hear in this me mentality series that it's not about us, God, but there is a world that's hurting, that's dying, that's broken, that's looking for answers. Some are over us, some are under us, some are near us. But God, I pray that we would be Jesus with skin onto them. We would be alive to them, that they would see the joy of the Lord in us. That Lord, we wouldn't have to be prompted by something else, but Lord, we would literally see ourselves displaying the attitude of Christ Jesus because we spend time with you and know you and because we have one another. Lord, what we have in common, please make uncommon in this world so that we might give glory and honor to you here on earth and forevermore. We love you. We thank you, God. Use us throughout this Labor Day weekend, we pray, and well beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.